In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Hello, beautiful friends. I'm Natalie. And I'm Claudian. And this is Shokram Very Much, the podcast. And this week's episode is called Journey Through Time. Today, we have yet another one of the brilliant minds of our church. Our guest has a PhD in church history, and she specializes in Coptic studies, which is really cool. After addressing the church's future in our last two episodes, talking about artificial intelligence, it was important for us to balance that out in the way the Coptic church uniquely can by adapting to our time, but always returning to our roots. We're honored today to get a glimpse of our church's journey through time with Dr. Mary Ratos. I hope I said that right. So we start every episode with an icebreaker. Yeah, so <laughs> we, we that's the one question you didn't get already. Yeah. So since you're already on an, an expert on like a very difficult subject matter, because history is insane, right? We're curious, if you could instantly become an expert in any skill or activity, what would it be? Oh, oh my lord. Um, interior design. Oh, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. I worked in interior design for a year. Yeah, uh, in LA with West Elm, the brand West Elm, mm-hmm. and um, it was so much fun. But I wish I had more like professional background. So I wasn't mm-hmm. like an interior designer; I was just mm-hmm. a decorator. So it's just like styling things together. Um, and I, I wish I was a designer. Like, making the thing that I see in front of me from scratch would be... I just love it. That's really I, cool. I love creativity. Yeah. That's but yeah. really cool. I think that's a yeah. part of maybe my own desire for God, because he's the ultimate yeah. creator. So maybe that's that's it manifesting itself. <laughs> yeah. you, know? <laughs> you know what I love is... And I think I've said this before in the podcast. Whenever we speak to people and they bring up things, either their current career or stuff they've worked on, like interior design, or, and everybody, and they somehow connect it to like their love of God and stuff like that. And it's fascinating to me because he's in everything. Yeah. Doctors, engineers, athletes, no matter what kind of career you go in, there's always some way to kind of bring him into it. And I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned in this podcast. Because you see it, you're like, yeah, doctors, because they're physicians, right? That's mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. But when you hear it in these different things, you're like, wow, like, he really is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's in everything you like. Yeah. yeah. Like, someone was, um, I was just having this conversation with a friend about time. And he was, um, he was grappling with time that passed and there was some, something he said i actually can't remember it but i was like you know i actually think that's maybe your desire for eternal life manifesting itself like the the time that's passed for him is like a a thing that he laments wow um and that i have an i have another friend who just absolutely loves weddings and i just i don't get it your desire for eternal life manifesting itself like the eternal wedding banquet of the lamb <laughs> maybe in a way never. it's your heart preparing for it who knows that's so cool <laughs> yeah to think of things like that that's a cool perspective yeah he's pretty cool i mean <laughs> yeah yeah he's he's very cool <laughs> okay cool. shall we begin so what is your phd in exact like the title i don't want to mess it up so Oh, no, you're good. Um, so I am um, history of Christianity, and my specialty is, like, is Coptic studies. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Wait, where did you study it? I study at Claremont Graduate University. So I'm oh. in, like, I'm finishing up. I'm wrapping up. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah it's, That's so cool. It's been a long journey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool, because I, I didn't think they would have a program, like, for Coptic studies. Uh, let's see. That's also a long story. 
Um, you probably could do a whole episode on <laughs> that as well. Um, they they had a world class scholar mm-hmm. who was like in house um, for a few years, and he taught Coptic language, mm-hmm. history, art. Um, he is he's retiring, and I think currently. They're not really concerned with, I mean, we'll have to double check, but they're really not concerned with filling that position again, which is kind of unfortunate. But so the the Copts, as we all know and love them dearly for, they love to build churches, right? Mm -hmm. We have have gorgeous churches. Um, But to put... To put money into education is a bit of a... It's a new concept. So yeah. I don't think they're they're used to it. So for many years before Axe, um, before Axe was established, and also like check the check me on this. <laughs> I'm not like I'm <laughs> by no means the authority. Um, uh, they tried to make a, a chair for Coptic studies. You need about a million dollars a year to to keep a chair. So there's a chair of Islamic studies because that's no issue. Um, the, they tried to make a chair for Coptic studies. It didn't happen. There's a chair for Mormon studies. And why I say Mormon studies is because in Mormonism, the Golden Scroll is written in Coptic. So in all of my Coptic classes, I had a few Mormons. And I was like, wait, I don't understand why you guys want to study Coptic. I don't get it. What? How is yeah. it written in Coptic? There's a reason. It's because Mormonism starts in the 19th century. Yeah. Right? Yeah. With Joseph Smith. Yeah. yeah. 18-something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Joseph Smith is... I mean, if you look at the origins of Mormonism, there's a similar story in Islam. He All of a sudden, he's in this forest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Muhammad's in a cave. He all right. of a sudden sees an apparition. He, Muhammad all of a sudden sees an apparition. He's very mm-hmm. unsure about it. Yeah. Um, there's probably, like, more in-depth parallels, yeah. but, you know, again, check me on this. <laughs> yeah. Is this a conspiracy theory? <laughs> no, it's not, actually. Yeah. Um, it's an attempt to ground this newly found thing in something more ancient. Yeah. What's more ancient than ancient Egyptian? The ancient Egyptian language. Oh. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh. Yeah. And he learned oh, I get that. just for that? No. Oh. He didn't learn Coptic. The thing is, we don't actually know. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, nobody knows. So the golden, the yeah. golden scroll is like, yeah. it's so sacred. I, I mean... See, Natalie's like a very scientific person. Yeah. I love history. Like, yeah. my thing was always history. Mm-hmm. So I was already excited for this episode. But this yeah. right here? Now I'm hyped. Now I'm like, <laughs> let's do it. Like, okay, I mean, like, why is church history something that should be relevant? Like, why should people study it? That's a really great question. Um, I think people should study church history because okay in in any aspect of history if you are a believer and you have like the proper like you have an orthodox worldview you can see the hand of god in everything um in church history i'd say multiply that that's that's very very prevalent in church history um and then from there any study of church history then you can also see like God's hand in your own life, in the lives of those around you. Um, yeah, I, I think that's why we we should all study it. I think there's phases of studying it, mm-hmm. though. 
I think initially, when we first read church history, we're a little bit scandalized about what happened or who said what or who did what to who. And, yeah. Um, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. And I think, too, that could be discouraging. Um, almost like, well, people are doing that, you know, outside in, in the outside world to each other, and they're doing it in the church to each other, and everything's bad. Um, but I think too, that um, even in those things, God's hands at work. I, but I think that takes some time. Like, I think you have to sit with whatever you're reading and grapple with whatever things you're struggling with and, and put it in front of him. Like, okay, I don't understand this. I'm not, I'm not saying like, wow, you're just going to all of a sudden understand everything. But um, I think it's a journey. I think it's a journey. Um, I think, too, in our tradition, um, it's common to sweep things under the rug, gloss over the mm-hmm. the bad things that happened and mm-hmm. present. We want to present a good picture, yeah. right? Um, which is, I think, something we've experienced in our lives. Like, anytime we do something, there's always someone who's like, well, what are the people going to say? You know, I'm sure we've all heard mm-hmm. that. And it's like, who are these people? Yeah. <laughs> I want to meet the people. I want to see these people face to face. So I think that's a temptation from, from our tradition. Um, I think it's unfortunate, too, because it doesn't allow us to really face the problem. I'm, so that's an aspect of, of history that we, I think we've got to be prepared for, is that, okay, so sometimes in Sunday school we're not presented with, I'll say the whole truth, we're presented with um, with a communal narrative, right? Um, I think history exposes a much messier experience, Um but even in the mess, it's beautiful. It's maybe even more beautiful than the the neat, shiny package that we're presented with. So, I mean, what inspired you to study it specifically? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, my God, my journey was crazy. Um, <laughs> in undergrad, I actually went in as... I, I was at UCLA, and I went yeah. in biology okay. for the first three years. Wow. Yeah. And then I switched my fourth year. Really? <laughs> fourth I year? My fourth year. Um, and still graduated on time by some miracle of the Lord. <laughs> oh my God, that's you impressive! Me. <laughs> it was terrible. That um, must have been a tough year. Like that must have just been a I lot of work. I loved it, so I didn't even feel it. The like fourth and year. I had, yeah, and I'd been wow. taking history classes. Um, yeah. I think in, in the third year a lot too, so it, it helped. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like two classes short of a Greek minor, which to this day I'm like, but you know, it's all good. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's a purpose for it somewhere along the line. Um, Yeah, I switched because I've always had a love for history. And I've always been good at school. Like that, I think that was my big problem was that I was always (laughs) like, I loved learning. I was a big nerd, um, still am. And um, I was just good at everything. So when I tried history, I was like, wait, I'm really good at this. <laughs> um, but, you know, that was like my little undergrad self speaking. Get yeah. to grad school, it'll humble you real quick. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and I just, I really enjoyed it. I had, um, I met a couple of really cool professors. I actually, my my undergraduate, my specialty was Byzantine history. 
and like to this day I love Byzantine history um and so yeah I met them and I was like wait this is like an actual career like I mean (laughs) I didn't know I mean my little Coptic sheltered self was like oh Oh, I only have to be a doctor and I was like wait I could still be a doctor (laughs) just a different kind (laughs) um yeah. So they told me like you just need you need more languages. Um at that point I'd had Spanish and Greek and like if you wanted to study anything with Eastern Christianity they're like Spanish is just like a nice pat on the back. <laughs> Doesn't help you at all. Yeah. Um wrong. It helped me in learning French yeah. quickly. Did you sound Latin? I didn't learn Latin. Okay, yeah. I didn't learn Latin at so all. So how many languages do you speak? I don't speak, oh. and I mean, I speak 1.5. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if I could count that I speak Arabic. I, I think I speak it well, and then I go to the Middle East, and I'm like, nope. Nope. Yeah. It doesn't happen. <laughs> um, but I understand everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whatever dialect. Like, I'm there. All the except, dialects? Except, except, I'm so sorry. Except, like... N- other North African, like oh yeah, like oh, Algeria, Morocco, Algeria, Libya. Yeah, 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 I'm like, yeah. I have no idea what yeah, you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anytime I get exposed to like anyone like Moroccan or Algerian talking, I'm like, yeah. we cannot be speaking the same language. Like, there's, there's no, no way. way. Yeah, there's like <laughs> there's no. absolutely no way. And I don't way think we you. actually are, because there's a lot of Berber and a lot of native, um, like North African tribal mm-hmm. words in their Arabic. Yeah, and so. Um, and I, I, think I don't think it's the same language. There's, a, I think they have a lot of French influence on them too, because they they were occupied by the French, I believe. But you mm-hmm. you would know that more than me. No, no, no. Yeah. You're right. They were occupied by the French, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of them live in France now. Yeah. Um, but I, I, yeah. no one can convince me that that is Arabic. That is North African. North <laughs> African. That's, that's not its Arabic. own language. <laughs> <laughs> we speak like an English Arabic. Like I don't know. I I sometimes I wonder like what kind of influence. English had on the Arabic that we now speak because oh Eng- that's an interesting question yeah I don't know that's just something I ask myself sometimes because it definitely doesn't impact the Coptic because we weren't speaking Coptic when the English came but I don't know because it's fascinating to me that so many countries could be speaking Arabic but all uh-huh. of them sound so different I mean it's like Spanish right yeah. and when you travel through like South America yeah. every country is a different yeah. dialect See, of Spanish I would just be like, I don't understand all of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, yeah. we probably understand um, Mexican Spanish the best. Yeah. And but if you go to Spain, it's a completely different yeah, yeah. pronunciation. Yeah. Um, and then in Argentina, I was like, I have no idea. Don't they speak what Portuguese there? In in Brazil. In Brazil. Oh, sorry, mm-hmm. my bad, my bad. No, no, you're good. But the funny part is, yeah. I was in Portugal one summer, and I had no idea. <laughs> I've never been exposed yeah, to Portuguese yeah, yeah. and um I was a- asking for help in Spanish and so they fully understood me. Yeah, but and they're yeah. speaking back to me in Portuguese and I'm like trying to string together what sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> they they eventually like walked me to wherever I had to go. Yeah, it was very yeah. kind of them, but they understood me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so I think sp- yeah. Spanish is maybe understood a little bit more than Portuguese. Yeah. I'm curious, how many countries have you been to? Not that much. I think I, yeah. I keep going to the same ones over and over. Mm. Um, I think my most, like, exotic places are probably Hong Kong. Oh. oh. Hong Kong was, like, that was my first time in, like, Asia proper. Like, I'd been to, like, Asia, the Middle East, but, yeah. like, Jordan, yeah, Lebanon. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was, like, my first Asia proper. Mm. And, um, yeah, Japan's still on the list dream destination 
in South America, I've only been to Argentina and Mexico, mm-hmm. um, in Central America. And um, South America is really lovely. Like, I don't know what took me so long to to get to South America. But um, I go to Egypt a lot. I go to Egypt a lot for work and, you know, try to go for research. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been to Greece quite a few times. But I think for a very... A very specific reason. Um, I think Greece reminds my parents of the Egypt they left behind. So we yeah. oh. we spent a lot of time there. London's my one of my yeah. favorite cities in yeah. the world. Um, I spent a lot of time before COVID just traveling the world. I traveled as, yeah. as much as I, I could. Was it 2000... 2015 was it when the 21 martyrs of Libya were I was in Beirut Lebanon when that um video got released and I was there so I'd gone the year before by myself and Mm -hmm. then I was like my parents are gonna love it here I'm gonna bring them back (laughs) so that was the year I brought my parents and so um we were walking we'd seen that on tv we were I was horrified I was so horrified that I didn't want to like explore that story at all um, and we were just walking in the street and um, a bunch of people, mainly Muslims, they'd go up to my dad and they're, they're like, you're Coptic. And they'd shake his hand and say, like, we're so sorry for your loss. Like, whatever was done was horrifying. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So um, that's something I think that's going to stick out in my head. Like, that yeah. has to do with Lebanon for sure. That Lebanon, the people in Lebanon are, yeah. are very warm and hospitable mm. and kind. So. Did they just recognize that he was Coptic? Oh, he's a priest. At St. John's in Covina. Oh, St. Cool. John the Beloved, very yeah. Cool. Oh, that's cool. This last summer, we took a bunch of youth to go see the Cave of Revelation um, on the island of Patmos, where where John saw the revelation. Wow. Um, so peaceful. It must be so cool. Oh, it was so cool. Yeah. I loved I'm it. Like, I think like I, I wouldn't be, I, I would just be like, like, you know, Moses, like, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Like, this is insane. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, like going there, I, I the in the church there, there's a there's a cave, right? Mm-hmm. That's the cave that he was um, exiled in. Yeah. And then in the I want to say the 11th century, there was a a Greek monk named Christodoulos, which means slave of Christ, who went and built a church like right adjacent to the, like it's in the same building, yeah. um, and he built a monastery up on the up on the mountain so there's like a fortress around this monastery because the island was um it used to be a prison the whole island used to be a prison and so he went and like i guess since the time of saint john (laughs) (laughs) till his time it was um um it wasn't as populated and so he went and built the monastery and was like teaching the people about uh, like what happened on this island and um, more people came to the island. It became like a second Jerusalem for for the yeah. Greeks. Um, it's really hard to get to from Athens. There's no flights or anything like that. There's a nine-hour ferry that leaves from Athens once a week, which is kind of crazy. But it's only four hours from Istanbul, so I'm like, I just I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really, it's more closer yeah. to Turkey. Um, but so- anyway, this monk built this monastery which you can still you can go to today and uh, you can see it on top of on top of the mountain Mm -hmm. um at some point pirates heard that this monk was 
um, building this monastery and like make and people were donating money to the island and to the monastery and to the monk and so they were coming to to just pillage the place there's pirates and so uh, they they saw the ship coming from the top of the island mm -hmm. and um, he told the people let's pray and the people prayed and the pirate ship turned into a stone like it's like this huge rock just protruding out of the ocean and so to this last year when we went we're like um the tour guide was like do you see this rock over there and we're like yeah and she was like that was a pirate ship and we're like ha ha ha, ha. you know like oh, very funny, <laughs> exactly. <you're> funny. <laughs> and then she told us the story and we were like whoa i crazy. had no idea That's like insane. why do i not know this stuff <laughs> this is fascinating yeah. yeah i mean this is like she's like you know local legend says but like we serve the god of the impossible of course he could turn a pirate ship that, into this into like, a rock it's fine yeah. he, he, it's he's easy raised people from the dead <laughs> yeah the, the pirate ship is not like, the pirate ship's not a big deal yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is insane yeah yeah so there's these all these like i didn't even know that people legends. could visit this place oh no now it's it great. is on my bucket list no 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 it's yeah. real you can go it's really lovely wow. um it's people are really lovely i definitely recommend you go and like read the revelation in the cave of the revelation um or like you know the the letters of john the epistles of john or the gospel of john he's yeah. my favorite biblical author so that's why yeah. i'm like go go that's very cool patmos is lovely is history the same as tradition no 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 i would say that so if we talk about history in a more like academic sense mm -hmm. you have um like rules and standards to include like whether you can include sources or not or whether something counts as a historical source yeah um tradition is a little bit more encompassing like for example these stories we talked about like the pirate ship and the magicians and mm -hmm. all that on on Popmos, um that is tradition because academia would tell you that doesn't count as history but the beautiful thing about about god is that he works outside of academia even yeah. he can work within obviously but he works um, outside of it and so um tradition is fascinating and i think especially for like studying church history and like for the people of god to know what he's done and to be able to um, to be able to look back at everything he's done and to like proclaim his works tradition is is very important history i'd say is a small part of that um it has to be you know well defined well documented mm -hmm. attested across multiple sources um the sources have to be trusted yeah you know like um for example too in in academia a large question is did mark the apostle actually come to egypt excuse me yeah i know actually taking a dig at our father you know yeah. our father who taught us the faith the reason for that is so there are five centers of christianity mm -hmm. right rome constantinople alexandria antioch jerusalem um besides jerusalem like i'd say alexandria and antioch are probably on the same like level they're the oldest yeah and um Antioch also has claims that like Peter preached in Antioch, which like the Syriac, all the Syriac traditions um, attest to. Um, but Rome is like, no, you know, Peter's ours. Um, and he did, he did, he was martyred in Rome. So, yeah. okay. Um, but the whole idea of like the keys and, and succession is a, is another, we're going to, we're going to shelve that conversation. Um, but taking a dig at Alexandria and Alexandria's claims to apostolic succession 
I think is because of Alexandria produced patristic giants that none of these others did. They did produce, you know, great people, amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, But if we look at the history of Christianity, like where would it be without Athanasius and Cyril, who come from Alexandria, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And where would it be without monasticism? Mm -hmm. Um, Which you know, now informs the hierarchy of the Coptic Church, which it wasn't always that way, but now it is. Um, Athanasius put that system in in place. And and so it's just a a dig to weaken the ethos of Alexandria. Yeah. So it doesn't really work. How how do we respond to that? How how do we talk? Or do we just let it happen? No, we don't let it happen. We tell them um, our tradition is is also quite long, you know, um, and it's attested to in in multiple traditions, not Mm -hmm. just Coptic one. It's attested in the Ethiopian, the Armenian, and the Syriac as well. Um, And your response to that is you also look at the same sources they're looking at. And Mm -hmm. um, if something, if that was wrong, if it was a wrong claim, there would have been a correction somewhere along the 2000 years. Yeah. There, there's nothing that isn't truth that people believe for thousands of years consistently. Mm -hmm. If it's not truth, it is revealed. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and it is revealed clearly. Yeah. So to that, they, they're, the whole academic side of it is like, we don't have anything um, before the fourth century that attests that Mark came to, that Mark had a, a mission in Alexandria. So the, the first source they look at is uh, Eusebius' Ecclesi- Ecclesiastical History. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say, I, I just looked this up. I, it's in book two. And Eusebius himself says, it is said that Mark went to Alexandria. So they take that and blow that out of proportion. Um and that's also a part of a larger stream of arguments in in the academy where um, it's almost like if you want these other things to be true, this also has to be true. So like the, yeah. there's this uh, German theologian, church historian um, from the late, late 19th, early 20th century, I want to say. Um, his name is Walter Bayer. He has this book out called Orthodoxy and Heterodoxy. Sorry, Orthodoxy and Heresy. I'm going to get you the proper title. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I remember right Once now. we get it, we will link it. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he has this book out, and in it, he makes a claim that we don't know anything about the first 200 years of the Church of Alexandria except for th- the list of the uh, patriarchs that Eusebius has in his ecclesiastical history because the Christianity in Alexandria was heterodox. It was heresy. It was Gnosticism. It wasn't orthodoxy. Yep. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So you just kind of hear that and you're like, okay, tub tubs. Like, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, like your church started in the 16th century. Don't come at me, you know? Um, (laughs) And that unfortunately happens in the academia a lot when it comes to egypt in general because egypt is is a land of of mystery it's uh yeah the unknown exactly um and everyone is interested in it yeah everyone even if we are not everyone is (laughs) you know um and and we have to be aware of these conversations it's kind of like the whole like mormons wanting to learn coptic thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is taking a turn that i didn't think it would go into there are really great historians out there Mm -hmm. doing amazing work like i'm i'm gonna shout out um deacon sawiris he's amazing (laughs) um he has this uh his 
his dissertation I think is is published and um, it's a a book that I use in in all of my classes and it changes how we think of the Arab conquest it's it's a wow. great book um, um, I think everyone needs to read it but yeah. he's he's great he does amazing yeah. work what role did monasticism play in the spread and preservation of Christianity in the Middle East during pivotal periods of history. To hear the answer to this question, make sure you tune in next week to Shukran Very Much, the podcast. Shukran Very Much for listening. And we'll see you next week.